Good morning, everyone. Um, just for those of you with kids, they, um, if your kids get a bit restless and you need to go for, take them for a walk, um, at the end of the passageway there is a play area that's opened. Um, but Linda and I usually look for, after the kids, and Linda is in Israel, and I'm here. Um, so, yeah, but I'm going to try and make this, this is a fairly, I think, simple message and easy on the ears, and I will try and make it a little bit kid-friendly um, if I can along the way. So, um, I... A while back, it was actually quite a long time ago before we had kids, I was doing a backyard clean. It was my day off. And so I decided to just start cleaning furiously. And I, when I'm on a mission, I'm on a mission. And the one thing is that I find cleaning quite therapeutic. Um, I'm not a total neat freak, but when I, you know, I kind of enjoy it when I'm about it. And I find I go into my own world. And as a kid, I always used to get a, um, kind of into trouble for daydreaming. And I was in my own world while I was cleaning. And I was carrying... Um, it looked like burglar bars, but this big, um, like a, a fence that we'd used to, to cordon off an area so that the dogs didn't get into the area. And so I was carrying this and walking past the pool. And at that time, I've got a Weimaran, well, I've got two, but Weimaraners, and they're called Velcro dogs because they just stick to you and wherever you go, which is lovely sometimes. It's very irritating other times. And so this dog was walking next to me, didn't notice, and I tripped right over her. But unfortunately, I was facing the pool. And as I tripped, I kind of gained momentum, did a head flip, holding this fence, went in, scraped my whole side, hit my head, and did a flip, and just came, came and was midwinter as well, so to add to it. And I kind of came up, and I was like, that was a freak accident. I couldn't wait to tell Jono, because it was just so bizarre. And I was imagining, imagine if I'd hit my head and knocked myself out, and he'd come home and could not understand how his wife was, like, knocked unconscious in the pool, holding burglar bars. Um, and I always love, especially if, if kind of something funny happens, I love telling people about it, just to amuse them, and I love a good story. And I don't, you know, as we engage with people, and we've been doing the series on Engage, an amazing way to connect with people is through stories. It's something that's happened, you know, kind of throughout the centuries, even before writing was around, stories were around. Now, I want to ask kids, if you hear, think about your favorite book. Who's got a favorite book? Do you guys have favorite books? Can you tell me name of a favorite book? Can any of you think of one? Okay, have any of the really little, have you got an idea? Have any of the really little kids ever read Llama Llama? We love Llama Llama at home. What is your favorite book? Can you think of one? I won't even make you people with that problem. What is it? Goldilocks. Oh, who loved fairy tales when they were growing up? Anyone else? Any good ideas? Brad, what is your favorite book? Can you think of one? When you were growing up. Oh, Bray Rabbit. Have you read Bray Rabbit before? And then I've heard of others. Do you guys read Diary of a Wimpy Kid? I don't know if that's nice or not. Um, I don't want to say any inappropriate ones. I've never read it, so I hope it's not. If your mom says it's bad, then it's bad. Okay. And what was your favorite book? Oh, yes, those are great. I absolutely love them. Do you know that when we talk about books, it can take you back to a place in your childhood that was very special? I used to love, do kids still love Roald Dahl? 
Um, I used to love Roald Dahl, and as we got older, he had written some books, some short stories that we had studied in high school that were kind of a bit dark. And I remember the one, it was a guy, and he decides he's on a cruise, and there's, they're betting on who will... Um, uh, what time I think the, the boat will get to its destination. So he works it out, bets all his family money on it, and then realizes that the ship is ahead of time, and he can't tell his wife. So what he decides to do is he's going to throw himself overboard to delay the boat so that he won't lose. So he picks the perfect person who's sitting on the deck, and then he needs to go and chat to her. So he chats and tries to establish that she's not deaf or blind, because either way it's not going to work. So he gets chatting to her, and after a while... He's absolutely sure that she's neither of those, so she's a safe bet. So he goes, throws himself off the edge. And then in the last few pages, you read how her carer then comes and says, what are you doing? Why are you wandering off again? And the poor lady was senile. And the lady says, I just saw a man jump off the boat. He was very nice, and he waved at me. And she said, yes, yes, of course he did. And that was the end of the story. And so that's Roald Dahl for you, kind of twisted. <laughs> so, but stories are wonderful things. Um, stories are true and sometimes they are made up. Um, but the Bible is full of true stories, stories and evidence of what God has done in people's lives. And for those of you who don't know, God is writing a story in your life and he has a plan for your life. And as Christians, we can call this a testimony. It's a story of what God is doing. And our testimony is something that should always be growing um, as we grow with God. It shouldn't always be the same. Um, we do have different testimonies about how we first came to know God, and then that story carries on. And there's something really great about sharing your story and sharing it with others. And I was just kind of brainstorming a few ideas of, of what's the power of a story? Why are stories that amazing? Why do they grab our hearts? And the first thing I thought, and, and, and this is actually one that I read, that I'd read up, is that a story can give credibility um, to something. And for me, that was a bit odd, because I hadn't thought of that one. Um, but a guy called Jeff Colvin says this. Um, he says, we are wired for interpersonal connections and put more stock in ideas that result from personal contact than from hard data. Essentially, we, we internalize stories much better than we do facts. And as proof of this, he goes into a study that um, someone had done of jurors doing jury duty. And he had compared the results of an expert witness coming in and either giving hard data, giving the facts of their research, versus an expert witness coming in and applying knowledge through stories. Um, and for, for the jurors, the more credibility was given to a story than to hard data, which actually meant in the end that even a jury needs a good story. And so something can actually give credibility. If you think about a lot of life experience and how people will sit down and tell you a story, sometimes we internalize that as fact, and it becomes part of our life experience. If it comes to raising kids, health, whatever it is, work, um, we internalize the stories that we are told. Then stories often connect with our heart, and we're more likely to remember them because stories just have a little kind of hook into our heart and into our brain. So I was thinking back to a story. Sometimes stories can be true, sometimes not true. And when I was in high school, my geography teacher was talking about the Cape to Cairo Road, that there was this dream of building. And so he spoke about how it had been a vision, I think in the 1800s. And he said, and now it's the N1. And so I was like, oh, okay. I didn't think it's like, I didn't get he was being sarcastic. Um, and then 
few years later, well, actually, it was when I was working at this church, when I just started, I was kind of with a whole lot of other young adults, and this one guy was talking about his dream to ride a motorbike from Cape Town to Cairo. So I looked at him and I said, that's great, are you going to use the N1? And everyone kind of looked at me and packed out laughing, and I realized my geography teacher hadn't told me the right facts. He was obviously being sarcastic or just thought it was funny. Um, but then there's stories that really connect with the heart. And boys and girls, if you hear, maybe your grannies and grandpas, they always have amazing stories. And you should listen to those stories because they're absolutely wonderful. And I remember stories that my grannies and grandpas told me. And sometimes they were really wild. And the crazier they were, the better. My mom actually had a pet monkey growing up that she used to sneak into her room to sleep with her. Okay. Then stories can sometimes spark interests. Um, so, but if you don't tell a story, they will just disappear and die off. And so, if you think about it, um, stories that can spark interests. Kids, have you ever read a book that got you reading a little bit more? I know older kids love horrible history because it's all these weird facts written into stories. And it's how my sister gets her kids to learn her, their histories. She buys them horrible history books and it's got all these gross and strange things. But in horrible history, it kind of gets them thinking and reading a little bit more about other historical facts. And that's happened to me. I don't know if you, um, as parents, have ever read a good book and then it got you reading a little bit more. Um, a while back, I'd read a really good book about a leper colony and, just, and then it got me interested in how did people cope in those days and, and how were they fed because this was an island that people were sent to. And next thing, I was doing a whole lot of research. And that's what, that's what a good story does. It sparks interest. Um, but a good story is also a generation away from extension, extinction, which means that if we don't retell the stories or put them in writing, they would disappear um, because word of mouth is so powerful. A good story makes conce complex concepts simple. Have you, do you ever remember your parents maybe trying to teach you how to do maths? And they would say, if I have one apple and one apple, and they would teach you through story sums. Or if you've seen parents trying to teach their kids how to tie shoelaces, and there's a little story about a bunny that goes through, all of a sudden something that's quite complex becomes a little bit more simple. There was a guy called Richard Betts who was a wine, they're called wine um, sommelier, that's it, okay. And there's about 200 of them in the world. And they are just these absolute connoisseurs who know everything about wine. I remember reading one, it was an article, it's actually someone I know's brother who became one. And they were interviewing him and they were opening different bottles and he was saying what region it was from and just from a taste, he could tell the era, the time, the season, the, the kind of down to sometimes even like a remote farm, kind of somewhere across the world. And he had such sophisticated taste. And no wonder wine tasting can be a very intimidating thing for people. But this particular gentleman actually broke it down for people. And through a story, he broke it down into three things that, that people could use to distinguish wine. And he said it's fruit, wood, or earth. And then he goes on through the story to explain. And all of a sudden, people who are fairly ignorant when it comes to wine tasting now have tools to kind of work through this confusing world. So sometimes a good story can help to explain things to us. A good story can also disarm the listener. And I was thinking about David and how, remember when the prophet Nathan comes to David and he needs to confront him on sin issues. And so he goes to David and obviously going to a king is a very intimidating thing. And he goes to the king, to King David, and he says, there was this man and he starts to tell him his parable. 
And next thing, David responds and says, well, this should happen. And he says, you're that man, David. And he confronts David with the truth about himself through a story because it disarmed David and he could actually listen to the story. Probably if he'd gone in directly, David wouldn't have been as keen to listen. I realized the power of disarming a story to disarm the listener the other day because we were trying to establish with Alexander his awareness of uh, kind of sin and what's right and wrong. And so, because sometimes I feel like I was being maybe a bit too harsh on him. And, you know, it's a two-year-old, the terrible twos. And so there were many times in the day where he was going to the thinking corner or just getting reprimanded. And I just really thought, I wonder if he actually understands what he's doing or are we being unfair? So I started to try and get into what he was thinking. So I'd say, Alexander, when you did that, what were you thinking? And so he started by telling, I don't know if he's class teachers here. Is Vanessa here? Teacher Vanessa. So the first time he realized that she's got our respect. So the first thing he told me was that teacher Vanessa told him to do something. And it was really wrong, and I knew it wasn't his teacher who told him. The next round, when I asked him, it got even better. He told me God had told him. (laughs) So, no, God won't tell you to do that. And then, then a few weeks ago, he, I was just telling him stories because he loves it when I tell him stories. So um, sometimes I try and get him to kind of work with me with the story and we make up one together. So I said to him, once upon a time there was this little boy and he was so happy because his mom and his sister were going to the shops and he was left alone. And so his mom and sister left and he did something very naughty. And then I said, Alexander, what did he do? And he said, and now this is the problem, is that the one thing I was trying to get to the bottom of, which I forgot to tell you, is that he was switching the taps on. He was going to the bathroom. Whenever we would forget the bathroom door open, he would go and squeeze all the soap out of the soap dispenser, and he would leave the tap on, which in water restrictions time probably gets the biggest response out of me than anything else. I'd be like, what are you doing? Because our water would just be running and flowing, and you don't know how long it's been on for. And so this was really causing me great, a great deal of stress. So it was kind of the one behavior I wanted to stop quite quickly. So anyway, so we get back to the story. So I say to him, he did a very naughty thing. What did he do? So when his mommy left the house, he ran to the bathroom, he switched the tap on, and he ran to the kitchen and he took chocolate out of the cupboard. And I was like, yo, giving yourself away. Because the situation just like, he's just given me more tools to discipline him. And he knows now, and I know that he knows. And so things are getting a little bit, you know, kind of stricter. Um, but a, a good story can disarm a listener. And that's why even things like in, in play therapy, in certain therapies, they'll use storytelling as a very great and therapeutic technique. And then um, a well-told story also holds the attention of the listeners. And it can actually allow you to get to your point. If you think about it, if you are preaching and someone disagrees with you, if you're speaking to someone, they can kind of interject. And sometimes um, apologetics is is all about debating and and kind of getting to the truth. And people come, but often aren't wanting to hear, they're wanting to defend their point of view. And so not that there's not a place for that, because there's a great place for that. We have to to know how to defend our faith. But um, a good story also disarms and it gets people full detention. And I was thinking back to when I was at Speaker's Corner in, in London, and the guy was on his soapbox, and he'd come from Texas, and he had this great big hat, and he looked very cool, and he had come to preach. So he was on his soapbox um, at Speaker's Corner, and he starts preaching, and he's like, God, the God of love, and he was pelting out, and he had his Bible in his hand, and so he, he's kind of preaching out, and, and 
so something there was some natural disaster that had just happened the week before so someone tunes him hey if god's a god of love why did this happen and the guy looks at him from his soapbox and he goes shut up i'm preaching and then the guy goes again he goes shut up i'm preaching it was not going to turn out well i actually just cringed and left and guys and girls you shouldn't say shut up that's a bad word um so so that is the, the whole thing with a story is that if you're telling your story, people are more likely to get you to let you finish and to hear you out because it's your story. And there's something quite precious and sacred that we respect in others. So if you know and love God, you should have a story that you, that you can tell. Your testimony, what God is doing in your life, what he has done. And even just, just the, your story of salvation, how you came into a relationship with God. So my, my, what we're really going to look at today is just a few ways that we can share our testimony, what stories we can share. And the first one is our testimony of salvation. And back in the day, I remember that we used to go to kind of youth talks, and it would usually be someone's sharing their testimony, and the more sensational and the worse the person was, the better the testimony, the more crowds they would pull. And I don't know if you ever went to anything like that, but there was always this pressure. There was one particular comedian, Christian comedian, guy who would share evangelist who would share his testimony and I found it I just listened to it and I just found it so he was really funny and um, later on I was reading up about him and he actually had a lot of the, the facts were fake um, and he had made it up to kind of make it more sensational because I think that was the pressure in those days that you would have a sensational story about what you were like before a Christian and then send, spend like the next two minutes talking about what God means to you and um, you know, I, I think that those days are over. Like, a testimony is about glorifying God, and it's about the work He did in our lives. And for me, the greatest testimony is someone who can say, you know what, from childhood, I, I kind of came to church. At a young age, I made a decision and a choice to follow God. And that is my story, and that is as beautiful as someone who's had the most amazing or hectic past. But there was someone who shares his story in the Bible, and it's Paul in Acts chapter 22. And this is a longest scripture, but it has a lot of different um, good kind of aspects of what we should include when we're sharing our faith with others. Because a testimony is about God's work and what Christ has done on the cross. So Acts 22 says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia. Um, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous as God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As the high priests and the, all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. Now you see, Paul had a pretty hectic past. He doesn't cover that up. He, doesn't, he talks about who he was, but he doesn't also glorify it. And straight, he gets straight into just who Jesus is and, and, and God's revelation to him. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my, um, he, he replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up. 
the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, to hear the words from his mouth. You will be a witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And then he just goes on, I'll just cut it there, but he goes on to get baptized and he speaks about how um, just in that, there's just there's truth about who God is, how God calls, how God changes a life, how God redeems, how he restores. And so it's such a beautiful example. Throughout the Bible, you'll see people whose lives were just transformed when they encountered the living God. The problem with it is, and when, when Saul shares his testimony, they actually get quite angry. In the end, they start shouting and throwing off their cloaks, and they're taken to be loved. And the reality is, as nice as a story can be, sometimes it won't be well received. And when we start to share our faith, there will be times where maybe it just kind of falls on deaf ears. Not everyone enjoys what we have to say. And that's not bad, because at the end of the day, it's our story, and no one can take that away. At the end of the day, God has worked in our lives, and he's done such a precious and good thing that what we're sharing, no one can actually take away from us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So some won't enjoy that message that you share. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For some, it's going to be the most significant thing that people hear from you. And then, as I mentioned before, it's, it's also a precious thing when your salvation story starts at a young age. And I know for many of you here, it is from when you were small, when you were young, that you just grew up in the church and God just worked in your life. And as I said, it doesn't make your story any less important. Um, Paul affirms Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures, God breathing, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God will be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for good works. And that's such an encouragement that, that because your story is about God, whether you didn't have this hectic past, whether you did, whatever it is, the story is still always about God. And a testimony isn't about ourselves. Then the next testimony that we can share is a testimony of suffering and just how we go through trials. And that has an amazing way of showing what's in our hearts. And you know what the amazing thing is? Even from young, I remember God being with me and helping me when I was going through different times. I remember seasons when I was small of just being so desperate for a good friend because everyone had a special friend and I remember I didn't. And just feeling loneliness. And so even at a young age, a story of suffering and going through hard times can be a testimony that even a young child has. And suffering has a way of showing what's in our hearts. So we've seen people in our lives come through and, and go through a hard time and get angry or anxious or, or just resentful. It can break relationships up. It can turn someone's life and um, just turn them into a very bitter person. Or it can show an amazing love of God, a trust in Him, a beautiful faith. And so these hard times often show what's in our hearts. 
Paul speaks about it when he when to the Corinthians and he, he speaks about his hard times and this also becomes part of his story and he has a long list of suffering that he went through in 2 Corinthians 11 he says I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely been exposed to death again and again five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was pelted with stones three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open seas I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Paul's not the kind of guy you want to have as a companion because you're probably going to find danger. Danger's going to find you. Um, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin and do I, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, who has been praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. And then he just goes on to talk a little bit more. But the main thing is, in his weakness, he still boasts about who God is. And if we're going to share a story about what God has done in our lives through weakness, it should never point to how we triumphed, how we succeeded. But it should always land up with us boasting about God's goodness. And when we go through tough times, people are very keen to to listen. I um, have been so challenged by... Richard and Jackie Mungovan, who were a young adult couple in our church, who pastors in the tell, and maybe you saw it on social media, but just before Christmas they um, had an accident and their daughter was, was severely hurt. And um, for those days over Christmas between New Year, they actually thought that they were going to lose her. And they were very good with communicating with people so that people could pray and support them. And their faith was just so significant in that time. And what really challenged me is I had to go for physio and there was a girl who, who wasn't a Christian and she was um, not really churched as far as I know. And she was talking about how she had read this and she had family so amazing. And I just thought there's a family who's suffering, who's really in the thick of it at the moment and they're choosing to still glorify and trust God. And it really touched people across the country, across the world. Um, just a story of, of how they suffered. And this is in a world where people are so hedonistic um, our main goal often is to escape bad things, to have a pleasurable life, to enjoy life, to, to have all the worldly pleasures. And so when we don't try and cling to these and we say, God, whatever comes from your hand, that's what I choose to, to accept because I trust you, because your ways are higher, that really does speak to the world. When Paul went into Corinth, he would have seen everything that the Corinthians kind of were involved in. Um, they, they were worshipping, they were, they were chasers of pleasure themselves, they were involved in a whole lot of bad things that I can't say because they're kids in the service, but they were, they were a bunch of people, like in the world that we live in, where people were obsessed with pleasures. And he says, when I came to you, I resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I wanted to know. And when it comes to us sharing our story, that's the main thing that we should know, is that we resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Then the other, the other testimony that we can share is the testimony of death. And this is a hard one because it's a painful one for many. And, you know, I, like I've been at many a funeral where we've really mourned and some, because there's that huge, huge loss. But the amazing thing as a Christian is that that can be our final testimony. 
And I've been so struck in the last few years just attending funerals of godly people from our, from our church and just hearing, and, and often it was the quieter people that struck me more when I was like, they, they were just because I didn't know about what they were doing and how many lives they impacted, but it was packed out services where you just heard stories of people who consistently serve God, people who, who quietly ministered to others, people who loved others, people that were people of integrity in the workplace, in the home, people that loved their families, people that were faithful to God. And for me, that just spoke about going, there actually can even be a purpose in death, that our life can count and death can be our final testimony before we cross over. And there's amazing hope in that. If you look at the story of, of Stephen, now when, when Paul shares his testimony, he shares it from one side, and he talks about how I was even at Stephen's um, stoning, and I was kind of looking after the clothes while the guys were st- of the guys who were stoning him. Now this is the stoning of Stephen, and this is Stephen's story, so it's from his perspective. And um, it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, till the end, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That was his dying vision, was that of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against me. When he had said that, uh, when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I just think well, that is such an amazing, a man who in his last hours, last minutes, could have been bitter, he could have just remained silent, but he still chose to speak of the goodness of God and who he is. And that would have had an effect on whoever witnessed it that day. The amazingness of just someone who to the end was committed to God. And that's the, the whole story of death, is that it's not one that needs to be a story of defeat. And just to challenge you and to let the lives of those in our congregation who have passed on still be a challenge to us, to live faithful, godly lives. It's not in vain. Um, and that can be our final testimony. And then the last one is a testimony of a transformed life. When the Bible speaks about life, it says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. When we step into relationship with God, God continually does new things in our lives, making us more and more like him. Sometimes we enjoy the process, sometimes we don't. But this can become part of our story. And every week, you should almost be getting new ammo, new stories to tell of what God is doing because God isn't, he's, he stays the same, but he's always doing a new thing in our lives. If we're spending time with him, if we're spending time in the word, if we're growing, um, if we're wanting to become more like him, this becomes a significant part of our testimony. And it's just the everyday things that we can share with people. And this is something that I try to become more intentional in. Because often I wasn't, I wasn't getting time to share my salvation story and my kind of sit-down testimony let me tell you for 10 minutes what, you know, how I became a Christian, which I have had a chance to share, but I, didn't, I was kind of feeling like I wasn't getting a chance to share God often with people. And what I did is I started to, to kind of look at my life and where God was working and going, but can I share that with someone? And, and often if opportunities allowed, if someone was going through a tough time, I started to share little aspects of my testimony and kind of sharing things that they could relate to. And a transformed life 
is we do live life differently. There is a reality, there is a difference to the way a non-Christian suffers to where a Christian suffers, the way a non-Christian does business to where a Christian does business, the way a non-Christian does marriage to where a Christian does, because God calls us to live differently. So those are opportunities to share our faith. Even when it comes to failures, um, people actually love to hear about failures too because that makes us more real. So sometimes being a bit more honest and that kind of means that we decrease a bit um, in terms of people's perspective of us, but, but people can often relate to failure. And, and sometimes hearing of how I failed, but God restored me. How I was possibly like one type of person, but kind of God lifted me. And those are things that people can relate to quite well. And Christians often have the, the reputation of being a hypocrite and, and kind of not, not being authentic and, and all those sort of things. And sometimes just being a little bit more honest with our stories will really help people to, to connect with God and realize, well, if God did that for that person, he can do it for me. Sometimes it will be through signs and wonders and miracles and, and answers to prayer that God has done. I shared when I was pregnant, I found I got a lot of opportunities because pe people are quite attracted to touching your, your stomach and your bum. And so I'd have people in my personal space, which wasn't really my style and I hadn't got used to. But what I did find is, was an opportunity to share God's goodness. We had battled to fall pregnant, I think, for about four or five years and um, had been praying and praying. And I'd been praying with someone in this church who also believed, and she said, kept on saying, I think we're going to have babies at the same time. And I was like, yeah, and I think she's got a far stronger gift of faith than I did because I was battling to believe. But she kind of was, was praying for me too. And um, she told us that she was pregnant, and I went and I took two baby grows because it was twins. And, um, and I was so happy for her. Um, but on the way home, I just remembered she had thought that we were going to be pregnant together, and we're not. And so that was my thought. And, um, and as, as like that week went by and I didn't think much about it, and then I was like, oh, I need to take a pregnancy test. And took a pregnancy test, and lo and behold, I was pregnant. And then once, we all, once I went for scans, it turned out same date that our babies were due. And so um, it's just so amazing, God's goodness, just to those little details of just, and just as I, as I look at Alexander, just a trophy of God's grace. And I found that story was such, I've told a lot of non-Christians that story because it's such a non-threatening, everyone feels happy when there's a baby around. Um, and, and also when he was little, it was just such a nice opening to share about God's goodness, even when it just came to childhood. Those are the little stories of God's faithfulness that we can share with others. Um, Paul, I'm going to leave that scripture out because of time, but, but Paul also just shared about how, I will just read the one verse. Well, I'll read two verses. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God, God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I love that. God doesn't make you timid. You might feel like you're not confident enough to share your story, that people might not be interested, but, but it's actually the Holy Spirit's power in you that, that gives you this power. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me in prison. And then he goes on to speak about it. But that's the thing. It's something that we need to be proud of. What God has done in our lives is a beautiful thing. And just as we're ending, just to, to keep a few things in check. At the end of the day, a testimony isn't to glorify ourselves, it's to glorify God. When we're going to share, we do we need to carefully think, am I representing God well in the situation? Am I honoring Him? Am I making Him the hero of the story? Because that's what a testimony is all about. Um, one guy said this, um, 
He said, if a story of a changed life is all we've got, then it ain't much. And that's true. There are many people whose lives have been changed by a running program, a certain diet, a clothing item they bought, a car that they bought, a house that they have, a trip that they went on. Many people have changed lives. It's not about having a changed life. It's about God radically transforming your life and making you a new creation. It's about what God has done. There's so much more to a testimony than just a nice story. This isn't a little novel and a little, you know, whatever that you, you tell people at bedtime. This is a story. Your story has the power to change someone else's life. You might see someone in eternity because of the story you shared. You might even not see the consequence of the story. You might just leave it there. But it might get that person thinking. And isn't that amazing that you could change someone else's life through your story? They could step into relationship with God. And then also not to under, undermine the, story, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was a teenager doing a program where I was taught to share about my faith. And it was like I, you had to tick all these boxes and like, did I say this? Did I say that? And then the funny enough, like the first time I shared it, it was with two kids at our church. And then I said to them, do you want to become a Christian? And they were like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I don't know what to do next. I hadn't been on that part of the course, and I hit a panic. And there was so much emphasis on myself and getting the formula right. And it's been so freeing to realize that actually telling a story, you might not have be the best apologist. You might not really understand the finer things. Maybe you're a new, new Christian. You, don't, you haven't read your Bible as much as others have. Um, and you're still growing in that area, but you can still share your story, and that is authentic. And so there's power in that, but it's the power that the Holy Spirit brings. And those are the words of life that you can share with others. So I want to encourage you this week. Share your story with others. Look for opportunities. It's one of those. It's the same as, you know, so many things in life. If you don't walk around with your eyes open, you won't find opportunities to share. But all of a sudden, if you start praying for and looking for opportunities, you will find that the Holy Spirit just prompts you. He opens doors. And, and all of a sudden, you've got a story to share that you didn't think you would. And it's amazing that God can use every part of our life if we surrender our story to him. So if the worship team can come up, I'm just going to pray for us and we're just going to end with, a, with one worship song. But Lord, we thank you for our story. We thank you that it's so remarkable just how you, you write the story of our lives. Lord, we, 